Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can gather here freely and that we can study your word to become uh, better servants and better followers of you. And thank you for you inspiring the word to be written through your Holy Spirit and through these writers. And I pray that you would bless our time tonight that we might better understand this book of of Colossians and what it was meant when it was written to them, the church in Colossae, and also how it applies to us today. And I pray that you'd bless our time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So Colossians, uh, that's the book we're in. We've been working through one book of the Bible. uh, Seems like years now, but it's probably been over a year now. So there's 66 books. So I don't know what number Colossians is, maybe 50, somewhere. We're, we're getting there, don't lose hope. Uh, but we do one book of the Bible, one Wednesday night. So some books like Colossians that are four chapters are easier to cover than the book of Psalms. So uh, we'll only be here for three hours to cover four chapters. I, um, we won't be here that long. Uh, but it's good to be with y'all. Uh, I had missed the previous two weeks, unless you didn't, I don't have to share all this, but my wife, Christy, evidently there's other things besides COVID. She tested positive for flu, and at the same time, I was sick with all sorts of nasally things and all the COVID symptoms, and we both tested negative for the COVID, but she had flu, so then I get on all the anti-flu drugs, and then the next week, uh, she tests positive for the COVID. And then I test again, but then they mail it off, and you don't find out for five days, and then you're supposed to quarantine, and you're, I'm getting over my symptoms that are worse than hers that has the COVID, and then uh, I'm negative both times, So, but I think I had it. But whatever, neither here nor there. It's good to be with y'all, and it's good to be out of my house, because that, I just don't, I get a little stir-crazy. Um, the book of Colossians, just some general overview material, then we'll look at a few passages in it. Uh, and it, this won't take that long, I don't think. If Ephesians could be labeled uh, portraying the Church of Christ, then the book of Colossians would be uh, covering Christ of the Church. Now, the whole theme of the book of Colossians and Paul's purpose in writing this epistle to the Church of Colossae is to show and to prove the supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme. Christ is preeminent. Christ is the most important. Christ is number one. All of these things. Uh, It's a a fairly basic book as far as how it's put together. The first two chapters of it would be more doctrinal, which is typical in many of Paul's letters, Galatians, Ephesians, whatever. He starts with the doctrine. Here's the beef of the matter. Here's what you got to think. Here's what you need to know. And then the next two chapters, three and four, cover the more practical. So now that you know that and who you are, and why you should be this way, then this is what you need to do. So here are some steps how you live out uh, what you know. So the first part is doctrinal, the second part practical. And again, to, to show that Christ is preeminent, that he is first and foremost in everything, in every part of our life, in every season of our life, in every relationship we need to have, and how it's supposed to be right, uh, Christ needs to be first and supreme. Uh, Our lives need to be rooted in him, alive with him, hidden in Christ, and our life is only complete in Christ. We only find our meaning in that. The author of it, uh, it's Paul. I mean, he starts out in verse 1, Paul, an apostle. So there's really not much discussion. Some try to say, well, there's some themes and some Greek words that maybe Paul didn't use, but uh, there's plenty of references, uh, I think, that Paul wrote it, and I'm not going to debate that. 
Uh, he gives personal details. Uh, there's a lot of parallels, this book to the book of Ephesians, which also was written by Paul. And, and also then the book of Philemon kind of even gives a stronger case that Paul wrote this. And at the end of Colossians, he mentions several other uh, partners in his ministry as he's going on his journeys and sharing the gospel. Uh, and so they overlap in other of his books. So it's, it's Paul. I'm, I'm secure in saying that. Colossae, the city, uh, is not a huge city at the time that Paul's writing this letter. Paul did not start this church. Uh, many other churches that books or these epistles, these letters are written to, Paul did start it. But Colossians, Colossae is not one of those churches. Uh, actually, Epaphras, Epaphras uh, he started it. He was probably saved by Paul. He heard Paul in Ephesus or one of the other cities. And he got saved and then he went home to Colossae. And that's when he started the church there. By the time Paul is going to write this letter, it's later on in his journey, maybe his third journey or maybe his first uh, imprisonment in Rome. And uh, Epaphras Epaphras comes and tells him some concerns that the church is having. uh, And that's why he writes this letter. Like I said, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians were probably all written about the same time, probably about 60 to 62 AD, somewhere in there is when it was written. Um, Chapter 2 of the book, uh, in in, in addition to the major theme it has, it's going to refute some heresy that's about to happen. Uh, I've said Gnosticism is the big one that's starting to show its ugly head in, in first century AD. Uh, this idea that uh, you know, anything on the earth is evil, so human flesh, for God to take on human flesh, that could never happen because any matter is evil. Uh, well, that's one of the things he's going to counter in this. He's like, no, Jesus Christ was fully God, fully, his deity was totally an act, and he had fully flesh. He was man in the incarnate. So there's some, it's not full-blown Gnosticism maybe by this point, but some of those things are filtering into the church, some of those beliefs. There's Greek speculation. He's going to kind of say, and we're not going to spend a lot of time, but chapter 2 is kind of countering these, uh, these heresy beliefs that are starting to infiltrate the church. Um, this Greek speculation, Jewish legalism, of course, is a problem. Uh, Oriental mysticism. Uh, a low view of the body again, uh, anything of the flesh, and so you then go there, you know, asceticism, and we go to this, uh, you know, everything of the flesh is all bad. Uh, worship of angels is starting to be a problem, mystical experiences. Uh, these are some of the things that are starting to show up in the church. Uh, the main one is uh, who Christ is and what Christ is and why is that important, which is what Paul's going to spend most of his time on. The sufficiency of Christ is the most important thing. In chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, uh, In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in, in verse 3 of that same chapter, uh, that Christ is that. So he's going to refute this heresy, uh, and the supremacy of Christ is going to be the way he's going to do it. Uh, and then there's going to be two things. Yes, you need to know what you need to know, but then you've got to be able to live it out. So, And how do you live that out? He's going to talk about submission in different arenas uh, in our lives, different areas. So uh, that's kind of the overview. Uh, now let's look. Uh, I think on your note sheet, I kind of gave you the, the 
outline of the book, um, general thing. I already said doctrinal, then practical. So he's going to start with Christ, that you may be filled with Christ. He starts with his prayer for the church, that you would know who Christ is, that he'd be evident in your life and be filled with him, and you would live a life worthy of that, of, of what Christ did for us, of course, dying on a cross. The practical side, chapters 3 and 4, uh, you know, how do you do that individually? How do you show Christ the love that he showed us? How do you do that domestically and in relationships? Uh, how do you do it in employment relationships? How do you honor Christ in submission? who he is, and how you relate to other people. So all of that's there. So let's just walk through some of the passages in this verse, and I'll kind of outline some, some different reasons why they're important. Chapter 1, uh, he starts in verse 15. Just a key passage. Again, the supremacy of Christ, who Christ is, is the big takeaway of this book. And it's, it's the best book that talks about it. Uh, he spends a lot of time covering it. Uh, so, you start with uh, Christ being explained. He starts in verse 15, and I'll read all through that through verse 20, and then I'll talk about it. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that you are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Christ is explained. It starts with verse, with verse 15 that Christ is the image of the invisible God. How many of y'all have seen God? Anyone seen God? That You don't generally... That kind of leaves a mark. If you wind up seeing God, you're like, you're blind or something in the, in the book. But uh, we, God is invisible. We don't generally see him. But it says, that if you want to know what God is like, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the image. He is the one you look like. You can't see God, but you can see Jesus. Uh, and what Paul is saying here is, basically, Jesus and God are one. Okay? And then it says that we're, in his, in, we're created in his image. Or just a note, we're created in God's image, but we are not God's image. Jesus is the only one that is, is the image of who God is. Then verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created. Or back to 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn would be a metaphor for saying he is sovereign. Uh, he is over all creation. Creation, and it goes on this passage, uh, you always get that anytime creation, you get, sometimes we forget that all of the Trinity was involved in the creation. It wasn't just God the Father and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit were kind of snoozing off the side. John's going to cover all that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was, well, who's the Word? Uh, Jesus Christ. So you got Jesus Christ was in the beginning. Here you got Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ is key in the creation happening. And he goes on in verse 16, he's not only the firstborn and sovereign, but he's, everything is for Jesus. Everything that God does is for Jesus, because God decided that. Here you don't see any division in the Trinity, you don't see God having a certain responsibility in creation, or Jesus having a, first, a certain responsibility, or the Holy Spirit. No, they're all equal in their division of authority. 
Uh, in Ephesians, I don't know if it was covered, but you could see in redemption, and us becoming redeemed before a holy and just God, they, the Trinity each has a different kind of responsibility. You could say God, uh, God the Father, He chooses it. The Son is the one that accomplishes our redemption. And then the Spirit is the one that applies it. Different responsibilities all involved in redemption. But in creation, all involve all the same responsibilities. No division of responsibilities. Verse 17, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He holds all things together. He is... Involved in every part of creation, in every part of time, in everything that happens, Jesus Christ is involved. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, he's sovereign, uh, even over the church, over the body of Christ, the church, the believers that come together. Christ is over that. He is the one that is in charge. And he's even in charge over death, firstborn from the dead. He's the only one that was born and died and buried and came back alive again and then was never buried again. Lazarus, born, died, came back alive again, buried again. Jesus Christ is the only one, died, buried, will not be buried again. He will come back another day for his second return. And it will be on a horse and a cloud and all that stuff. It will be uh, quite the fanfare in the scene. So Christ is all-powerful over creation. He's all-powerful amongst the Trinity in God. Everything God does is for Christ. He has all power even over death. He's sovereign. He's the firstborn. He is everything. If If Paul could say it in any clearer language... It's a big deal. Jesus Christ, His Son, is preeminent. It needs to be first and needs to be the first thing. Now, why is He saying all that? Well, He's countering this other thing that's Jesus Christ. Of course, fully God, but He wasn't fully man. He, it wasn't His deity as He walked on the earth because you can't have, Gnosticism would say, you can't have uh, something that's holy in, in flesh. Okay? So He's countering that. Then it goes on, look at uh, verse 26. You also see the mystery of the Gentiles. Verse 26 of chapter 1. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to whom God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Always in the Old Testament, if a Gentile wanted to become Jewish in their beliefs, a God fear, one that followed God, then you had to do circumcision. That was what they were ordered to do in the Old Testament, and you had to do that. And that's what they fully expected would be done if any Gentile that wants to become uh, Jewish in who, they, in who they follow. And there was other laws that, that they had to follow, but there were all these other things you had to do. And, uh, and the mystery that Paul is trying to talk about is know God, the Jesus Christ that came to the Jews and all mankind is the same Jesus Christ that came and died for all. Jew, Gentile, it didn't matter. And the way that you come to Christ from here on is it's only by Jesus Christ and putting your faith in him and what he did on the cross, paying for our sins and making us right with him. 
So there's this mystery of how God is relating to the Gentiles, but they are saved just like everyone else through Jesus Christ and putting their faith in him. Chapter 2, verse 6, it goes on, and this is a great verse to, uh, to memorize, to study, to, to write on a note card and put, in your, put on your mirror where, where you get ready. But uh, it's just a great reminder of how, a basis of how to live your Christian life. Chapter 2, verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how do you receive Christ? Well, the Holy Spirit would at some point speak to us or convict us and show us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And then at some point, upon that Holy Spirit talking to me, I would then believe or put my faith and trust in what He says and who He is and what He's done. And then at that point, redemption occurs in my life. But you see God doing His part in saving us that the Holy Spirit, our God, works out the circumstances of my life so that I hear the gospel message, whether that's at a revival or at a youth camp or at VBS or at a Wednesday night church service. I'm exposed to the gospel and that God loves me and the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you need some of that. And then there's a point, do I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did? If I do, and that I need him and forgiveness of my sins and where I fall short, which I fall short of God and his holiness every day. If I put my faith and trust in him and what he does, what he did, then redemption comes in my life. So if you put that verse, verse 6 of chapter 2, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, if you do those three things, then Paul is saying, so walk in him the same way. Well, what's he saying? How do you do that? Well, I take his word. God speaks to me. How does he speak to me if I'm a believer of Christ? He speaks to me through his word. This is why we study books of the Bible. This is why we uh, have Bible study. This is why we gather and, 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 and do quiet times and why we do these things. Because I want God to speak to me. So he speaks to me through his word. Then the Holy Spirit speaks and says, uh, this is what you need. And then we have a choice with anything that the gospel, the Bible says. Do I believe it or not? I have to believe it, and then if I believe it, then the reality will come in my life. Your faith is only as good as what God says it is. What God says in his word, what God says to the Holy Spirit of who he is and what he's done for you, then we have to put our faith in that. You are not saved by works. We're not saved by checking off these boxes and doing all these things, even whether it's church attendance or you've been a perfect attender at Sunday school for the last 30 years or you've done whatever. Those things are good things, but that doesn't get you right up in the holy and just God. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ and putting your faith and trust in him and what he did, that he paid the price of my sin on the cross. So it's a good reminder, even in our daily lives, the same way that I came to, was saved, God did his thing, I put my faith and trust in him, he redeemed me. It's the same way I need to do that in my daily life. Walk that out every day. Read his word, then put my faith and trust in his word and live that out. Chapter 2, he talks about, again, he's going to refute some of these heresies that are starting to come into the church at Colossae. Chapter 2, uh, verse 20 through 23. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? 
do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish uh, with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. He's arguing against legalism, which there was a big problem back then. The Jewish followers were like, man, we're doing all the right things. We're doing all the, following all the law and we're doing it all and whatever. But uh, your legalism cannot get you right in front of God. He says, basically, Paul says, there, there's no rule in the world that will fix your heart. Can't do enough. Can't do enough right. Can't stay away from enough wrong. Can't do enough to be right with God. Only what you believe about God says that it will fix your heart. It's not what you do, but it's who uh, he said he could do, and you must believe in him. You must have a faith. So he starts these first two chapters. uh, Christ is supreme, preeminent, the most important thing, the firstborn. He has to be that way in the church. He, has to, he said that he's that way in the creation. He's that way in the Trinity. In the Trinity, he has to be that way in your life, in your own salvation. So you have to know and put your faith in that, believe in that, and then the next session, section, you got to set your mind on God's things. Uh, so chapter three, he starts his practical section, the direction for your life. Uh, once you know who Christ is, then you got to set your mind on Him and on his ways and the things above. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For Christ who died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your minds on things above. He's talking about focus. Um, Isn't it easy to get unfocused? Isn't it very easy to set our minds and our thoughts and our time on the things of this world? If you have a television, if you have an iPhone, anyone have a phone in here? So what do you do when you're idle for a second? Uh, I'm going to check something on this. We have been trained that this is our idle time. And as a parent of teenagers, that's very dangerous. But even as a parent and a grandparent, is it not just as dangerous for you? Whether you're saying, I'm not going to look at anything I shouldn't, well, those things will find you. And it can be accidentally that it finds you. And before you know it, the hook is in you. But it's not just that. It's also the dopamine thing that happens. I need to know how many people are going to like that picture I posted of my perfect family. And today's daughter's day and tomorrow's son's day. And this is my dog's day. And then this is everything's a day, is it not? You know that that's all a marketing ploy, right? They want us on that 24-7. But then it's... Beyond just that, if you want to go politics, or if you want to talk Fox News, or you want to talk CNN, you want to talk MSNBC, you want to talk Newsmax, you want to talk whatever, you can watch the news 24-7. Everything's breaking news. Yet it's always the same three stories, depending on which liberal or conservative channel you're watching. It's always the same three stories. Nothing changes. And before you know it, you've spent two hours watching nothing. Or I could hit a nerve. 
It could be your favorite football team or basketball team or your favorite store that you shop at or whatever. And uh, you know that you're not thinking on the things above when your favorite team, and I'll just throw one out there, okay? The Aggies, I'll just throw one out there. Suppose they lose to a team called Arkansas. You know you're thinking on the things of the world when that affects you for a whole weekend. (laughs) You're putting your how you are, your mood, your whatever, based on 20-year-olds that, you know, they're 20-year-olds, or 18-year-olds, some of them. Isn't it easy to get real distracted and focus on the things of the world? You could go binge watch. What do I need to binge watch? Maybe nothing. Maybe you should spend some of that time, if every second of your idle time is on that, that's a problem. When was the last time you, or how do you allocate how much time you spend in this? If we're honest, most of us spend very much more time on this and very few time in this. And we wonder, why are my thoughts not right? Why am I dwelling on this or that and the things of the earth as opposed to the things above? You're not feeding the right source. You're feeding the things of the world. You're feeding your flesh. Set your minds on the things above. That is a battle every day. Some days you may be good and you might, if you get conceited and you think and you become prideful, that's not good because tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you could go right back down and get back in the world. It's really easy. And the world will give you plenty of options of things to do with your time. Not that they're all bad, but most of them are not. There's no benefit in it. No ben- and worrying about everything and being anxious about everything. There's no way to live your life. Things on the things above. Have God's purpose as God's viewpoint of how you look at other people. It needs to be God's viewpoint of how he looks at the other people. It doesn't matter what the news or Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever app you're using. They have a tendency to view people in every news story. We view it as that person's good and that person's bad. And it's not always that clear. Most people in the Bible, according to the Bible, are bad. We have a sinful nature. We do things wrong all the time. Be careful where you're spending all your time. I think that's a good warning. And for sure from this Bible, Paul Paul is saying. Chapter 3, verse 6, he talks about putting off and putting on. Uh, verses 6 through 12, I'm not going to read it all, but put now your, uh, you yourselves are to put, uh, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these, and he lists all the things to put off, and then verse 12, uh, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on these things, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, forgiving one another. Uh, it's a reminder here that you you know, whatever the sin is, if you fill in the blank, I, I fight with this temptation or this sin. Okay, well, I'm just going to try harder, and I'm just going to overcome that. You're going to fail. You may temporarily win for a while, but uh, we're going to fail fighting our sin if we try to do it in our own strength. You're going to fail. The only way you overcome sin is you center on Jesus Christ. He has to fill the void that you're trying to fill with whatever that is. Jesus Christ has to be supreme in your life. That's your motivation to then say, okay, Jesus Christ, and if I know who you are and what you did on the cross and you forgave me for my sins, you paid the price of my sins, I put my faith in you, the Holy Spirit comes into my life, then okay, then Holy God in me, 
fight that sin when I, my flesh wants to give in to whatever that is. God can defeat it. You can't. I can't. God can't. It's a good reminder. That's the only way you can put off is to have Jesus put those things in you. Uh, he goes on uh, in verse chapter 3 and then 18 through 24, submission. Uh, God talks about that. It's not a popular topic today in America. Uh, everyone is living for me and my rights, and I do whatever I want, male, female, whatever. No one's the boss of me, vaccinated, anti-vaccinated, whatever. Nobody control me. Some can, you know, all these things. Well, there is an order that God created, and God is the one that created everything. That can be argued too, so, you know, but I'm going to say God created everything. I, I fall into that camp. And God created the order of how things relate. And he's going to talk about it here. It's talked about in Ephesians. It's talked about several of Paul's letters that talks about submission. So, he says in verse 18, Wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing for the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. He even goes to bond servants or slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart and fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that you'll receive a reward of inheritance from the one you serve, Jesus Christ. You can't do away with that. God's order is... Yes, of course, God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, they're the, they're, they're the head. But then man is the head of the household. That's the way God set it up. There's plenty of men in households that are doing a great job of that, and there are plenty of men that are doing a sorry job of that. But that is a responsibility that God gave to the man of the house. But every man is under the lordship of Christ. They submit themselves to Christ. That doesn't mean man can call the shots and do whatever he wants. And treat anyone that's under him however he wants. No, he submits himself to Christ. And if you understand that relationship and all that he did and how he loved us unconditionally, then you pass that on to who's under you. Women, woman is under the man. That's the way God put it. I'll discuss that a little. Then children are under both parents until they're 18, move out of the house and pay their own bills. That's the way I view it. Or get married or something. Um, and there's plenty of children that want to totally just disobey their parents. And if you watch any cartoons today or teenager shows, it's like the parents are the dumbest people in the world and the children are calling the shots. And then you wonder why that's what happens in schools. And then you say, oh, you get home, well, watch the TV. It's your babysitter. It's not a good idea. Children are supposed to obey their parents until they become independent. Uh, and it even talks about slavery. Thank goodness we don't have slavery now. But the principle would be, and there was plenty of slavery here in Colossae and in the, the Roman world and the Greek world. Uh, if you work for somebody, uh, it's like you submit to that person. You do it honorably, the work you do, and your innermost being, you want to, uh, to, to live for them and submit yourself to them. So... You see this order, but you have to, and, and you could spend lots of time on submission. I don't have enough time, but any time that Paul talks about submission, it's not a popular word, 
The example of submission is always how Christ, Jesus Christ, submitted himself to his God the Father. Was Christ any less than God the Father? We just, I, I take you back to Colossians 1. <laughs> Jesus is supreme. He's preeminent. He's not less than God. I'm not saying he's greater than God. But he was equal with God for sure, right? But yet, in John, when he's at the Garden of Gethsemane, what is Jesus going to do when he had every right to say, I'm not going to go and get crucified and have whipped of the nine tails and almost killed that way, and then I'm not going to get nails in my hand, and I'm not... He was struggling with was he going to go through and die on the cross or not. And then ultimately, in John 17, what did he say? He submitted himself to God. He said, Father, your will be done, not mine. He didn't have to do that. So there's your example of submission. Equal, of course, with God. Husband and wife, equal. Yep, equal. Not one less, more important than the other, equal. But the woman submits to the husband out of their love for Christ. Employee submits to the employer out of their love for Christ. The servant in the slavery days would submit to their master out of their love for Christ. It's an easy thing to talk about. Well, it's not really easy in today's thing. It's not a popular topic, but it's in several important books of the Bible. And the Bible doesn't often cover, I mean, there are some topics it covers over and over again, but submission comes up three or four times. So it's important. Now, I am saying, I mean, there are, again, some men that are not Christian, and the wife may be a Christian. So how much does she submit to that? Well, then you say, don't be unequally yoked. Well, it's too late. I thought I could change him. And if there's abuse happening, uh, if you can submit to your husband, even if he's not following Christ or God the way he should, the way that the woman could honor God is to do that. If it becomes physical and a problem, then you should report the authorities and do those things. Um, It's just the general principle is we should submit because today... We don't want to submit to anybody. I won't submit to nobody. I am the boss of me. It's the mentality, and that's not biblical. Chapter 4, verse 2, he goes on and says, You need to have prayer in your life. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So you need to be praying uh, without ceasing. And and verse 6, he talks about a balanced speech. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You see two things in your speech. It should have grace and it should have salt. Truth and grace. Uh, The salt would be the truth part. Some people are really good at the truth part. We love to share the truth part. Almost judgmentally and with condemnation and to tell you how bad you are. Uh... But here it says you need to have grace and you need to have salt. You need to be able to do it kindly. You need to be able to do it sweetly and gently. Jesus would say be careful of pulling out someone else's sin or the, until you have the plank pulled out of your own eye, that kind of thing. Uh, it's easy to see other people's sins and not to see my own. So I think a general principle is if you love to condemn other people and point out all their faults and all their shortcomings, you're probably not the greatest person to go and call someone out on their sin. On the other hand, if 
it's painful for you to call someone out in their sin because you know it's hurting them in their walk with Christ and you hate it for them, but you know for others that are witnessing it or seeing it, then maybe you are the person to bring that confrontation one-on-one to them. Um, You should have balanced speech in how you approach other people and the sins that they have in their life. And I'll be honest with you, as a, as a parent of a daughter that's at Texas A&M, whoop, um, I just pay a lot of money there. But anyhow, uh, sometimes living out the Bible is hard. And you think you know it all, even if maybe if you're raised in a godly home and, you're, and you got saved at a young age, and then you go off to college, you have an opportunity to live out what you say you believe. And this is being recorded, so I'd be careful what I say. But um, so I get a call from my daughter uh, Monday night after Monday night football, and I'm, she just took a physics test, so I figure she wants to drop a class, which is not good, but that's what I was thinking she wanted. She said, can, can, you call, can I call you when you get home? I'm like, yes. She calls me, and uh, I won't go into all the details. She moved off campus. She has two other girl roommates that she didn't know, but they're in BSM, supposedly Christian girls. She barely knows them. She's lived with them for two months. Uh, since school has started, now one of the girls, the roommates, let me be clear, boyfriend's coming in town, goes to another school, but coming to the game, and he can't find a hotel, would it be okay if he spent the night in the room? So that girl comes and asks my daughter and the other roommate, what do you think about that? So speaking of truth and grace, <laughs> uh, and this is, uh, you know, I have my initial thoughts. Um, but how much can you control what other people do? If you call someone out on their sin, whether they're doing anything or not, maybe they're just having a sleepover, which is fine. But we all know how these things work. Um, if you call her out and you create a wedge and you have to live with her for another year because you sign a lease, is that going to be the good thing? <laughs> Or do you say, I'm not real comfortable with this for these reasons, but you can make your own decisions, and I'm going to love you like God will. I'm going to love you with God. That's kind of where I erred. Well, I had a 30-minute conversation with the other dad, and he was, and I'm an associate pastor, okay? I, I mean, I don't the Bible at this girl, whatever. But um, he was more, he, he, wanted, he wanted to ostracize this girl. Because he wants to protect his daughter. Now, okay, I get it. But what can you do? This, th- that kind of stuff was happening when I was in college in the 90s. And I'm sure it was happening even before then. Not that it's right. But I'm going to tell my daughter, you live your life. You live for your Christian morals. And you can't control what other people do and don't do. Now, it, if it affects her or he's being unruly, I mean, it's one night. So that's just an example. How do you live out these things? When you, other people, and you see how they're living their life, you're like, but you're supposed to be a Christian. Well, you've got to do it with truth and grace. And Paul here says, you've got to do it that way. So in summary, my, my daughter is not having a boy sleep over with her. That is not what I said. So don't tell my wife I said that. Um, but I think this is a, four, chapter 4, verse 6 is a great way for her to try to live that out. Madison doesn't want any conflict. She doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. You might be the right person to have this conversation with her. Because you're going to do it out of a spirit of love 
and of redemption and reconciliation and not out of judge, judgment, hate, and disgust, and I'm better than you, which is the wrong way to go about it. He ends his book uh, in chapter 4, verses 7 through 17. He lists all his friends in the ministry, uh, Tychus, Onesimus, John Mark, uh, Epaphras, that, that was a pastor at Colossae that started the church. And he's going to thank them. A lot of these same guys are mentioned in, in Ephesians as well, which is why uh, another reason for sure written by Paul. Um, and then he ends it uh, in, in verse 18. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. Paul was in jail in Rome when he's writing this. And probably because of all his persecution that he's experienced at this point, it it did not allow him to probably write this, so he's dictating this to someone else to write down. And, uh, and he knows the gospel and the persecution he had. Uh, when, you sh- when you read this letter of the Church of Colossae, uh, know that I follow the gospel, I live for Christ, and it didn't bring me all uh, white picket fence and uh, gospel prosperity and all this stuff. No, it, it brought me chains and it brought me persecution but I wouldn't trade it for anything because the follow of Christ is everything in his life. Um, so that is the book of Colossians. There are, of course, other verses I could have said, but a couple of applications I would say. Uh, the first is know who Jesus is in your life. He starts in chapter 1 with the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That he has to be everything. Gnosticism, Judaism, Uh, that was plaguing the church in Colossae at that time. Satan used false teachers uh, to start some cults, and there's cults of today, okay? I'm sorry, but Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, those are for sure cults. Uh, And how do you fall prey or not fall prey to some of those things? Well, I think Colossians would be a great book to study. Who is Christ? He is fully God. He's fully man. His deity was intact as he had flesh, the God incarnate. And then you don't add anything to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and who you are in him is enough. You don't have to have all these other things you got to do, like Judaism wanted to add all these other things and rules you got to follow. No. Jesus Christ, putting your faith and trust in him, is enough. And then I would say keep the first things first. You don't have to have Jesus plus anything else. Jesus plus baptism. No, you could be saved. Uh, You could ask Jesus into your heart, he could save you, and you could not be baptized, and you could still get in heaven. Look at the thief on the cross. Was he baptized? No, Jesus told him what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. So uh, we believe as Baptists, the baptism doesn't save you, the immersion is important, but it's a symbol of your faith you've already put in Jesus Christ. The baptism is important also for church membership. That's how you then join a local body of believers in church. But the baptism is not what saves you. You don't have to have Jesus plus social justice. You don't have to have that. Should you be doing some social justice and trying to help those that are in need? Yes. Do you have to help everyone in need? No. Everyone and everyone in all the world and all their needs is not my response. I cannot do everything, and neither can you. Neither can our nation of America. God is sovereign. God is a work. And where I can help, I should try to help. There's almost this, we've gone the other extreme that we have to do everything for everybody. And if you're not, you can't be a Christian. There's limits of how much I can do. 
I have responsibilities to take care of my family. And on top of that, if I can then help others, then sure, do it. But you have other responsibilities as well. Keep the first things first, and of course, Jesus and who he is is the most important. He must be first in your everyday life, balancing your time. He must be first in your marriage, your family, your work, relationships, even in your hobbies, and even in your entertainment. Is Jesus Christ honored in what you're watching and putting into your mind and seeing? Is he honored? Most of the stuff on television is not honoring to God. And the world is just keeps pouring in their messages that they want. And it's all the things that we should be putting off. Homosexuality, fantastic. Push it. Um, any sort of, oh, if you have any boundaries, definitely don't do that. No country would have boundaries, right? I'm pretty sure there's countries that have boundaries. Um, so you have to balance that. What are you focusing on? If you focus on the two main passages, I would say from this, in chapter 1, 9 through 15, who Christ is, he's the preeminent, he is the everything. You understand who Jesus is, that will keep a cult from grabbing you, from uh, giving you false teaching and robbing you of, of only what Jesus can do in your life. And in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, uh, the world can never grab your focus if you focus on the things above. But it's going to be a battle. And there are days when you need to ask for the Lord's forgiveness. I, today I didn't focus on the things above. I focused on the world. And that can, several things, can, you can become distraught, you can become depressed. Um, Christians should be the people of hope. We should have a reason. If nothing else, Christ saved me and I don't have to spend eternity in hell. No, no. I'm a child of God. Because I put my faith and trust in him. Regardless of what happens on this earth, there will be good days and bad days. And some days I fight temptation and I, and I win or God wins. And other days I don't. But my hope isn't in this world. My hope isn't in this country. My hope isn't in never getting COVID. My hope is in Christ. That has to be your hope. And then regardless of what happens to you, if you wind up like Paul and you're in chains, you can say, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Where is your focus? May it be on Jesus Christ and who he is, and may it be on having to live, live that out in the relationships that we have. That is all I had to say about the book of Colossians. I said a lot of words, so, um, yeah. Let me close the word of prayer. We'll go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are in our lives. I thank you for Jesus Christ, the importance of who he is, the person, the deity that he had, that he was fully God and fully man. Thank you for his faithfulness to submit his desires to your purposes, even for him, to die on a cross so that others uh, like me and, and those in this room could be saved and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did. It's a free gift, but it wasn't. It's a free gift to us, but it wasn't free for you. It cost you a lot through Jesus Christ, your son. But I pray for each of us here, if we don't have a relationship with you, I pray that we would put our faith and trust in that today and know that 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 love, that gift of love is offered to everyone. But when we we put our faith and trust in who he did for us on the cross, then I pray that where our focus is not on the things above, but on the things of the world, where we become easily distracted, 
We become easily frailed, easily rattled. We act as if we have no hope. I pray that you would assure us that we have plenty of hope. And it's not in ourselves, it's not in my, our abilities, it's not in our, uh, our way of fighting temptation or overcoming the evil one. No, we, don't, we can't overcome evil. It's only Jesus Christ that you did that. May you give us that assurance that we have your love, we're a child of God, and may we focus on things that matter for eternity and not just temporary. Things that we burned up in the fire, whether it's finances or uh, things that we have, those things don't matter. Only kingdom things that have eternal impact matter. Pray that we would look at other people and as we approach, talk to other people, that we might share the light, the love we have with you, but also if we need to convict of some sort of sin, that we might do it with, uh, with salt and with grace. Show the love that you have for them. Be patient with them in their sin. So many things in this book. Thank you for this book and pray that we would take it to heart be better men and women that follow you with everything that we can. Thank you for Jesus and his role in our life. Thank you all. Have a good night. I won't tell you what book is next, but you can look and see. It's the next one. Is that 1 Thessalonians? Um,